0: Um, for the past few months now, um, like Aaron said, we've been going through a series on why we believe what we believe. In other words, what are some of the core beliefs of a Christian, and what gives us confidence to believe these um, as truth? So, really, the series is—it's just outlining some of the primary doctrines of our faith. And if you Google like SFBC Articles of Faith, um, you'd see a list. Um, of the things that we as a church believe in, and pretty much the first several items on the list um, on the site are topics that we've covered so far in the series: things like the Trinity and the life of Jesus, or total depravity, salvation, eternal security in Christ. And if you've been here listening to this series for a while, or even if this is your first time here, I hope that you're able to see that there's a common theme about what we believe. And it's this, we believe in what the Bible teaches, okay? If you were looking for a summary or a short answer to the question that this series imposes, that's it. In other words, what we believe is directly dependent on what the scriptures teach. And this is why we place such a a high emphasis on studying and teaching God's word. We want to get it right. We want to know and interpret correctly what God is saying to us. And I'm confident enough to say that each doctrine or statement or concept listed on uh, SFBC's Articles of Faith, um, they can be clearly found in the Bible. Okay? Obviously, we can tell by the scripture references, you know, next to each one. But I also know this because um, we firmly believe in the authority and sufficiency of scripture. So if the Bible says it, then we believe it. Sounds simple, right? But there's a reason why we have so much Confidence in the Bible. And it's because God is the author of the Bible. See, each word written down in this book, in this book, is is divinely inspired. They're the words spoken and breathed out by God Himself. That's why we call the Bible the Word of God. It's communicating to us through words written in this book. He's the one speaking. He's the one who penned the words to the prophets and apostles. God ultimately is the source of all of Scripture. Now, this is an important truth to emphasize, especially for this series, because what's one of the primary factors in determining whether you believe something or not? How do you decide if something is fact versus fiction? You look at the source, right? You ask, is the source credible? Is it reliable? Does it stand the test of time? Have others confirmed it? Is it consistent with other things that are already known to be true? See, it all comes down to the credibility of the source. The more reliable the source, the more confidence we have towards believing in what that source has to say. I wasn't there when Pastor Ray um, went over the inerrancy of Scripture, but I'm betting that he mentioned several points that provided uh, or that proved the reliability um, of the Bible. Like eyewitnesses accounts or science and historical confirmation, the canon maybe. All of these things, among others, can speak to the credibility of Scripture. But the main thing, and really the only thing that's needed to establish the Bible's credibility is this. It's God's the source, right? God is the source of Scripture. And that's why we believe what we believe. And is there a more reliable source than God? Is there something out there that can measure up to his credibility? He's the perfect, all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-existing creator of the universe, Yahweh, the great I am, worthy of worship. He's our source. It's his words that we have here. So that means all that we believe pertaining to God, pertaining to Christ, salvation and creation and heaven and sin, all of life and godly living, the source of all of that the source of all of that we believe here is God himself. And once we establish that God is the source of the Bible, then we can confidently conclude that this is the def- definitive truth. Okay? It's the infallible and inerrant word of God. So if you're looking to find answers, right, if you're looking for absolute truth, then don't look any further because it's right here. See, who better to tell us about God Than God Himself, right? Who better is there to inform us about the beginning than the one who is actually there from the beginning, right? And who better to teach us about this life and the life to come than the source of all life itself? No one except for God, our Creator. The Bible is the Word of God, and He's given it to us so that we might know Him and worship Him for who He is. He tells us what to believe, and we believe it because it's coming from a God who cannot lie. So, when the Bible says that all scripture is God breathed, we believe it. When the Word of God describes God as being three distinct persons in one, we believe it. When it says no one is righteous, not even one, then we believe it. And when it says that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then we believe it and we say, Amen. See, we believe in the things that God has spoken to us through His Word. So, with that said, As we come to our topic today, the new nature of the believer, we should be asking this question. Is this concept found in the Bible? Is the new nature a truth from the Word of God, or is it a theory from man? And of course, today, I'm going to try to show you from Scripture where we get this concept. And then you can decide for yourself whether it's biblical or not. But I hope that by the end of tonight, we can all come to the same conclusion that the new nature is indeed a precious truth found in God's word. And as we come to realize this, um, or any truth in the Bible, really, I hope that we would respond by submitting ourselves to the authority of Scripture and by letting the truth affect our thoughts and our actions even today. So before we begin, um, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word I thank you that your word is reliable because it's from you, God. And so we ask that today as we look into your word um, about the new nature, um, that you would show us your truth and that our hearts would be changed um, after listening to it and, and, and determining that it is a truth found in your word. Help us to uh, just understand uh, what you have to say to us. In your name we pray. Let me start off by um, just reading to you what the statement on our website says about um, the new nature of the believer. So This is what it says. It says, We believe that every believer is a new creation in Christ with provision made for a certain victory of the new man over the old man through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit and that all claims of complete eradication of the sinful nature in this life are unscriptural. Now, before we get into this topic, I think it's worth noting that the literal term "new nature" isn't actually found in Scripture. Okay, so if you look at the original na- or the original language in the Bible, at least, you won't be able to find this exact term. Okay, but we use this concept, the new nature, um, as a summary of truths that are clearly found in God's Word. Okay, it's kind of like the Trinity, right? You won't be able to find the literal word trinity. But the idea of God being three persons in one, it's all over the Bible. Okay, so it's the same thing is true of the new nature. Though the literal term is not there, the idea can clearly be found. And the statement that we read from the website pretty much sums it, sums it pretty well, actually. Um, that is, number one, we are new creations in Christ. Okay? And consequently, number two, uh, there's the old man that we're to put off And then there's the new man, which we are to put on. So I'm going to use that as somewhat of a guide tonight. Um, I want to make sure I I touch on those things. Um, But there will be some other stuff that we'll inevitably be covering along the way. Um, The topic's, like, really big, and it's really easy to get off course. I was, like, really struggling with that. But I'm going to try my best tonight just to give us an overview of the new nature tonight. So if you're taking notes, and if you're looking for an outline... Um, I have two main points, and each of those two points have two subpoints. So that's one of those, you know, 1A, 1B type of things. Um, so first, we'll describe the old nature. And what I'll do is I'll break that down into two subpoints, okay? It's the, the old nature, which is the old life and the old lifestyle, okay? Second, in light of the old nature, we're going to describe the new nature, okay? And in a similar manner, we're going to have two more subpoints, That is, the new life and the new lifestyle. So, old nature, new nature, further broken down as old life and old lifestyle, new life and new lifestyle, okay? So that's gonna be our general outline today. Um, So, um, to start off, first I wanna clarify, what, what do we mean by the word nature, okay? At first I had some trouble defining the term because in our language today, the word is often used like very broadly or like it can be ambiguous sometimes. Like the word mother nature, right? What is that? What's mother nature, right? I don't know, it's kind of like using the word nature as a person or like something, I don't know. Or like nature valley, okay? You tell me, I don't know what nature, all I know is it has something to do with granola bars, right? Or maybe a more relevant um, usage, like human nature. Even human nature is kind of ambiguous. Like, does that mean we're all physically human? Or does it mean we act a certain, like, human-like way? Or does it mean that we're all inclined to sin? Right? Or maybe it's a combination of all of that stuff. But my point is, the word, it can be prone to cause some confusion. So I think it's worthwhile, at least for myself, to define it from, um, from the beginning. By doing this, it should help us to minimize um, the confusion for an already complex topic. That's why some books have a glossary, right? The terms are like defined so that there's less confusion, no misunderstanding. So here's how I see the word nature, okay? I see two main expressions of the word as it relates today or to our topic today okay the first expression of the word nature is this okay it describes what we are what we are by origin okay or what we were born with it's the result or product of what we are at the time of our birth okay so a bear right like a like that type of bear it has certain dna right and faculties that make it a bear from birth, right? Or a dog has certain DNA and features from birth that make it a dog. And the same thing applies to us as humans, right? As human beings. All of us, we have common characteristics and faculties from birth that make us human by nature, okay? And like we have a brain, we have a heart, we have opposable thumbs, we have the, the ability to reason and feel, um, feel emotions, And we all naturally came into being with these things. It's it's our nature, right? So that's the first expression. It's what we are by our origin. It's like what we come with out of the box, right? The second expression of the word nature is what we are by growing, okay? That is, there are certain abilities and qualities that we develop as we grow, and at some point, we become characterized by those things, right? They become our nature, like a lion, right? He's known to have what, ferocious nature, right? Or a lamb. A lamb is known to have a gentle nature. My dog is sometimes said to have like a playful nature. Um, and so um, as, as, as we each grow individually, we develop different uh, like thought processes and, and responses that affect our nature as a person. And so in this second expression, nature becomes kind of like a synonym for the qualities and characteristics that we've developed as an individual. Some people are described as having a kind-hearted nature. Right? Others have a cold-hearted nature. It wasn't fully there at birth, but it was kind of developed as the individual grew. And all of us experience this type of growth in our own lives with Varying results. So that's the second expression of the word nature, okay? It's the characteristics developed through growth. It's our growing tendencies or growing aversions, okay? Now, I think we can all agree that as human beings, as humans, we all possess a human nature in both expressions. All of us have experienced both a birth and an ongoing growth, right? We were all brought into life with a certain set of like human features, that's the first expression, and we're still and we're all growing, right? We're developing, uh, we're developing a, a unique set of characteristics that define who we are as an individual. That's the second expression, okay? But get this, okay? The Bible says that the believer actually experiences two births, and consequently, two growths. That's why it's not uncommon for some to say that the believer has two natures. Now, some theologians have issues with this concept because it can be kind of confusing to say, like, you have two natures, right? Kind of, it can sound like uh, schizophrenia going on, right? But I don't have any problem with this term as long as we're thinking in the correct terms, okay? See, if we look at these two natures separately, there's no issue. We need to first consider what we are as children of men, okay? That's our human nature. And then we need to consider separately what we are as children born of God. That's the new nature. And we'll expand on this later. But the main thing to remember is that there are two births and two growths. Okay? An old life corresponding with an old lifestyle and a new life that comes with a new lifestyle. So okay, now that we have kind of the definition of this word nature, um, let's consider the first. Let's, let's look at the old nature. And even though our main topic is the new nature, um, looking at the old helps us to appreciate better what we'll have in the new, okay? So let's look at the old nature, or more specifically, the old nature expressed by birth. You get that? A few weeks ago, Derek spoke on uh, total depravity, um, the fact that we are all helpless sinners before a holy God, right? And that's because of our sin nature. But what I want to look at right now is our human nature by its origin? Okay? How was man created from its original inception? And to find that out, we have to go all the way back to Genesis 1. Okay? Genesis 1. Let's turn there. Genesis 1. Shouldn't take you that long to get there. Chapter 1, verse 27. Okay? Genesis 1, first book of the Bible. It reads this, verse 27. Popular verse. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So from this verse, we can see that God created man in his own image. In other words, before the fall, man was an accurate reflection of God's image. He was sinless, he was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. So there was nothing in human nature as it was originally created that was sinful. You follow? In fact, after God created man, he said that his creation was what? Very good. It was very good. And if there was any hint of sin in man from the beginning, then God wouldn't have been able to say that, right? Because he abhors sin. But see, by his origin, Adam, the first man, was sinless. Sinless. That was the original nature of man. And so human nature as originally created isn't sinful. See, so we have to be careful not to confuse what Adam was by birth and what he became resulting from sin. Okay? We all know that Adam eventually messed everything up, right? He failed as the first man. The moment he decided to disobey God in his heart, sin entered the world. And Adam, suddenly, he became a sinner by nature, okay? He was born sinless, but he grew up to be a sinner. You might say, okay, well, that's bad on him, right? Well, how does that affect us? How does that affect me? What does Adam's nature have to do with us or our nature? How does does, does his nature affect our nature? Well, if we look again at Genesis chapter 1, We can see, okay? We can see how our nature was affected. There's a concept in the book of Genesis um, that's repeated over and over again. It's that every living creature brings forth after its kind, okay? Look at verse 11. Genesis 1, verse 11. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruits, fruit trees bearing fruit in which... Fruit... (laughs) fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. It repeats the same thing in verse 12. The same thing is said for the birds and the creatures of the sea in verses 21 and 22. It's said again in verses 24 and 25, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. right? Livestock and creeping things and beasts on the earth, according to their kinds see every creature brings forth their own kind and once adam the very first representative for all of mankind once he sinned once he became a sinner right every single person that came forth from him inherited that same sin nature the apple doesn't far fall far from the tree right so what adam became through sinning we now become through our birth. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Romans 5.12 puts it this way. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. See, sin came into the world when Adam sinned and since every creature brings forth after its kind since all are born our adam including us all are born sinners this is the nature that all of mankind inherited and so now now in terms terms like human nature right or the flesh which could have actually been neutral by their definition They've been forever tainted, right? They almost always refer to human nature after the fall, right? We say, oh, like, that's human nature. It's like, why? Why?" Tell them that it's human nature. Okay. Um, But, like, (laughs) um, (laughs) sorry. Um, So they also always, these terms now almost always refer to human nature after the fall. And since we are by nature sinners, since we are of the flesh, our resulting life is now ever inclined towards sin, okay? This is now what we are by birth. It's the old life. And that leads us to our next point, okay? This is the 1B, which is the old nature expressed through growth, okay? The old nature expressed through growth. Since we are all sinners by birth, our tendency is to live our lives in sin, right? We were born sinners, so we sin. In other words, what we are by birth affects what we become by our growth or in our growth. It affects how we think and respond. It affects our emotions and the decisions that we make. It becomes our lifestyle. See, all sinners inevitably sin. And this is total depravity, right? Romans 3, there is none righteous, not even one. We've all turned aside, no ability to perform good. Our tongues deceive, our feet are swift to kill. We have no fear of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, our hearts are wicked to the core, and it manifests itself in our sinful thoughts and action. It becomes our walk. And we become characterized by unrighteousness, And as we grow unrestrained, we only get worse. Our sin becomes more prevalent. We grow more and more capable of acting on the sinful natures or sinful desires that are rooted in our hearts. This is human nature after the fall. Look how Paul describes describes it in Ephesians 4. You can turn there, the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 4, um, we're going to look starting at verse 17. and It talks about, in these verses, a progression that man takes as a sinner under the old nature. Okay? Starting at verse, actually let's start at verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, okay? alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. And here it is, they're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. It's the lifestyle. See, a born sinner always becomes a practicing sinner. And here's what these verses tell us about the progression as a sinner with old nature, okay? Look, it starts with what? It starts with a darkened understanding, okay? Sin, it blinds our eyes and keeps us from seeing the light of the glory of God, and then our hearts, they become callous or hardened, okay? They become hardened to God's word, which leads to ignorance. And this isn't some type of, like, innocent ignorance, okay? It's a, it's a willful, willful ignorance or neglect of God and his commands. From there, we end up giving ourselves over to sensuality, or literally licentiousness. Even that word sounds, like, not good, right? Licentiousness. It just sounds wicked, Okay? But what that is, it's, 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 it's an unbridled lust. It's kind of that take what you want mentality. It says, do whatever makes you feel good. doesn't matter what the consequences are. But nothing is ever enough, right? We continue to commit sin after sin, and we end up greedily practicing every kind of impuri- impurity. Doesn't that sound like the world today? Right? That's the trajectory of all mankind because of sin. The sinner becomes rampant in sin. See, we're not only sinners by birth, we're sinners in practice. That's the old nature. But that leaves all of us who possess the old nature with a big problem, right? Right? Because to what end does the old nature leave us? What's the end result in verse 18? It's alienation from the life of God. Eternal separation. Everyone still living with the old nature will experience an eternity in hell. That's the consequence of a person in possession of the old nature. But how do we fix this, right? How do we fix this? It wasn't our fault. It was was Adam's fault, right? How do we fix this? How do we repair the old nature so that it's no longer inclined to sin? And the answer is, actually, the answer isn't to repair the old nature. It's to bring an entirely new nature. Okay? See, the old nature, that thing, it's beyond repair. Okay? It needs to be thrown out and replaced with something new. And this is where we transition over to the new nature. Okay? Remember, just like the old nature, there are two aspects to the new nature. There's a new birth and a new growth, a new life or a new lifestyle. Let's first look at the new birth. This is 2A, by the way. Turn to, chap- turn, to, turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. John chapter 3, starting at verse 1. It's the story of Nicodemus. I don't want to say stories. It's an account. An account of Nicodemus. Let's read starting from verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is, this is the key, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So this is, kinda, this is one of the places where we get the concept of a new birth. Okay? It's the idea of being born again. And in this passage, um, we see Jesus, knowing Nicodemus' thoughts, right? um, he answers the question that was on his heart, even without him saying it. Okay? And the question that Um, Nicodemus had, judging by Jesus' response, was most likely, how do I inherit the kingdom of heaven? Right? Or in other words, how do I become saved from my sin? And Jesus responds by saying, only those who are born again will be able to see the kingdom of heaven. Now with all of us being human by nature, I think sometimes it's hard to understand what this concept really means, right? Um, We often keep thinking in regard to our physical flesh, right, our physical birth. So when we think of being born again, it can kind of be confusing, right? It It just seems like a strange concept. Like, what does it mean for a person, like, a human being to be born again. I, I know that it's used to describe Christians sometimes, like, you know, we're all born-again believers, right? We kind of throw that term around. Um, but what does that actually mean, right? Is it like reincarnation? You know, like, you die and then you come back, like, as a frog? Or maybe, you know, if you're really good, you may have come back as, like, a, a lion, like something cooler. Um, or if it's, if it's literal, like being born again, if it's literal... How can we as physical beings, right? Living in the flesh right now, how can we be born again? It's just an idea that seems kind of strange, right? But lucky for us, okay? Nicodemus, he was brave enough to ask the same question to Jesus, okay? And now we can benefit from his answer. So look at verse 4, okay? Nicodemus said to him, this is the question, "How can a man be born when he is old?" He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? So Nicodemus, this is the teacher of the law, right? A ruler of the Jews. Even he didn't know exactly what Jesus was talking about, okay? But, you know, even if he did, you know, even if he did kind of understand Jesus' metaphor here, like, and let's give him the benefit of the doubt since he was kind of like a church leader, right? He still had no clue how something like this could even be possible, right but Jesus gives the answer in verse 5 okay he says he says this Jesus answered truly truly I say to you unless one is born of water and the spirit he cannot enter into the kingdom of God so to be born again as it pertains to the new nature it's not something physical okay it's not a physical rebirth it's spiritual only one who is born of the spirit will enter the kingdom. So this new life that we're birthed with, um, it's spiritual. He goes on to clarify this even further in verse 6. Look at verse 6. It says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. See, the concept of being born again isn't just a rebirth from the same old flesh right? What use is that, right? What's the point if, you know, if we're just going to be reborn with the same old nature? We'd just be a bunch of like born-again sinners, again, indulging ourselves in the same sins and growing in the same lifestyle. There wouldn't be any difference. That's what Jesus means when he says, that which is born of the flesh is the flesh, right? The flesh can only bring about the flesh. And the Bible says that all flesh is like grass, right? It's temporal. It dies and withers away. Our sin nature can only bring about sin, and sin can only lead to death. It wouldn't matter if, we were, if, if somehow this was possible that we were able to go back physically into our womb and come out again with a second chance at life, right? Our human nature, rather, our sin nature would still be there, and the problem would still remain. See, we have to be born of an entirely different source. We have to be born of the spirit, not the flesh. That's the origin of the life. Uh, that's the origin of life in the nature of the of the believer, okay? In the new nature of the believer. See, the only way for us to be released from our old nature is to be given a brand new one, okay? Not one. Oh, sorry. Um, you have to be given a brand new one. Not one of the flesh, but of the spirit. The nature isn't just new, okay? It's, It's of a different kind. See, no effective upgrade can be made on the old nature to make it good again. It has to be totally replaced. The one who is born of the flesh can only bring forth works of the flesh. And only the one who is born of the spirit can bring forth fruits of the spirit. Do you see that? The old nature, it, it just won't do. It's of the flesh. It's totally corrupted by sin. The person must be given a new nature, one that is pure and undefiled. No individual within the old nature will enter into heaven. It's a nature that's it's, it's unfit for the kingdom. Under the flesh, under the old nature, there's no amount of work or quality of work that can be done to qualify us for the kingdom. Only the life under the new nature, only the life that is born of the Spirit can enter into the presence of God. This is why we must be born again, right? We must have spiritual life in order to enter the kingdom. Now, when we refer to spiritual life in this context, okay, there's a lot of terms that are kind of, we have to define, right? We're not talking about some sort of, like, creepy ghost-like aura that flies around, okay? It's not some sort of spiritual, like, when we say spiritual, it's not some sort of mystical entity or some sort of vague external essence that gets created, okay? Sometimes when we hear the word spiritual, we immediately think of things like that, right? But the concept of spiritual life, it isn't like that, Okay? When we refer to spiritual life, we're talking about a brand new set of affections towards God and his commands. That's what spiritual life is, okay, in this context. It's it's a whole new way of seeing and thinking that allows us to believe the truth of God's word. That's what it means to be given spiritual life. In contrast, someone who's spiritually dead, right, he's unable to respond, unable to understand the things of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit. They are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. See, no matter how many times the natural man hears the gospel, that is, um, the one under the old nature, no matter how many times he goes to church and and listens to Sunday messages, a spiritually dead person won't respond. But a a believer He's been made spiritually alive. He's been given spiritual life, okay? Remember Ephesians 2? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together in Christ, with Christ. What was once an unresponsive corpse is now a person with spiritual life, He's able to understand and accept the truth of Scripture. He knows God, and he's responsive to his calling. He's given eyes to see, ears to hear. See, spiritual life gives us the ability to discern and apply the things of the Spirit, that is, the things of God, because the Bible says that God is Spirit, right? I love this picture in Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, um, starting at verse 25, it says, he places his own spirit, the capital S, right, within us. It's God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, that causes us to walk in obedience to his commands. That's what spiritual life is about. It's removing our heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh. Not a heart of the flesh, right? a heart of flesh. Like, uh, but, a, but a heart that is now responsive to the word of God. Right? It has a pulse towards the things of God. And that new heart, the new disposition, causes us to, to believe and follow his commands. Okay? Without spiritual life, we won't ever come to Christ. We won't ever respond to the truth of God's word. And therefore, we would never obey him. The life that is spiritual seeks and understands the things of God. From this passage, I also want to highlight that none of this is possible on our own. It's God who gives us the new heart. It's God who places within us the new spirit. He's the one that causes us to be born again. See, just like our own physical birth, right? You never decided that you were going to be born, right? Um, You didn't suddenly choose to be brought into this world, right? It was something that was out of your power. You were entirely passive. And so likewise, um, we have no power within ourselves to be reborn, it's solely an act of God. We don't have any power to beget ourselves. The new life is a gift that can only be received, can't be achieved. John chapter 1, 12 to 13 says, but, all, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, mercy, he has caused us to be born again. See, it's God who causes us to be born again. It's by his great mercy that we've been given new life. We can't take any credit for the saving work of the gospel in our lives, okay? The new nature is received. It isn't something that can be worked for. It's God alone who works uh, to save us. But even though, even though it's God that does the work, he still works in us and through us to accomplish his purposes, right? And even now, he's working um, to cause us to grow in godliness. And that brings us to our last point within the new nature, um, which is the new growth, or the new lifestyle. The new nature encompasses both right, a new life and a new growth. Anyone who's been given spiritual life must now what? They must now spiritually grow, right? An infant grows into a child, into a teenager, into an adult, into an older, older adult. Um, and see, a new birth, when you have birth, it implies growth. Right? Our spiritual lives are similar. Okay? There's a new growth and development. That comes resulting from the spiritual life that we have, all believers grow in their spiritual understanding and walk with the Lord. See the new nature isn't just that we were dead and then made alive, though we are. Our new life leads to new growth okay we 've not only been made spiritually alive we 've also been made new, new in the way that we live right that is. Um, our new way of thinking, it translates into a new way of living. Our walk is impacted so that we're no longer characterized by the things of the old nature. Second Corinthians 5.17 it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And what this verse tells us is that every part of our being is affected. We're new creations in Christ. Our thoughts, our desires, our conscience, and emotions, right? All of that is now controlled by the Spirit. We're not only made alive, we're made into new creatures who walk in newness of life, okay? And with our new, with our new nature comes an entirely new disposition, meaning the very thing that governs us, okay? Whatever that thing is, okay? The very thing that governs us, whatever is behind the scenes that causes us to think and respond the way that we do, it's completely replaced, It's living with a new principle in life, a new purpose, and that new purpose drives our actions. The old has passed. The new has come. The gospel suddenly becomes attractive. Sin becomes disgusting. Obedience turns from duty to delight. See, we no longer think and act as those under the old nature. We're totally new creations in Christ. I hope it doesn't sound like I'm contradicting myself here by saying this, but even though we are spiritually new creations in Christ, okay, we as individual persons are still the same. (laughs) Does that make sense? Even though we are new creations in Christ, we as individual persons are still the same. It's, it's the person that possesses the nature, okay? And what I mean by that is everything that you have been given in this life by its origin and everything that you've developed through your growth as a person in the old nature to some extent remains unchanged, okay? Physically, we still have the same faculties, right? Is that right? We still live, in our, we still live in, in our own bodies, even though we're new creations. Um, we didn't, like, get an additional arm, right? <laughs> or an additional leg, um, though that would be kind of cool. Uh, in terms of our characteristics, uh, we still have the same talents and abilities, right? We still have the same personality and, and temperament. It's just now we live by a different principle because of the spiritual life that we've been given. Does that make sense? Let me, let me give you an example of what I mean by this, okay? The Apostle Paul, okay, before he was born again, before he even went by the name Paul, he was a remarkable person, right? There was no question in his ability to reason, his zeal, his influence, his endurance and persistence, his work ethic, all of his talents and abilities, even as Saul, Saul of Tarsus, we're still there under the old nature, right? But he was a persecutor of the church. He killed Christians. He used all of his power and all of his being toward that end. But what happened after God gave him spiritual life? What happened after he became a new creation? He was still the same person, right? He didn't gain an extra arm or leg. He didn't, gain any, he didn't even gain any extra talents or abilities, actually he had that same level of logic, same attention to detail, the same passion and persistence. But now, see, instead of zealously killing Christians, he zealously preached the gospel. Instead of logically reasoning against Christ, now he argued the case for him. You see that? He used all that he originally had, but now for a different purpose. Yet outwardly, it was still the same. So what was the difference? What's the difference? He had a new disposition. He had a new governing principle. He had a, he had a principle by which he lived, uh, a new governing principle by which he lived because of the spiritual life that he was given. He was born again so that everything that he did was now governed by principles from God's word. Instead of being controlled by the flesh, he was taken control of by the spirit. And that's the effect of being a new creation in Christ, okay? Your entire being is under a new governance. Your your personality and abilities, they're the same, actually. But now you walk in the spirit. Now you have a new purpose. The old has passed, the new has come, the new birth brings forth a new growth. The new life brings about a new lifestyle and a new purpose, okay? Now, even though our spiritual growth flows naturally um, from our spiritual life, there still must be a conscious effort on our part to grow in our understanding and application of God's word, okay? For example, um, Michael Jordan, do you get? You guys know, you know does he guys even know who Michael Jordan is? Or uh, let's use LeBron James or something. Or, you know, one of the greatest players of all time. Oh, okay, well, that's debatable, right? Okay, but, okay, Steph Curry. I heard, I heard Steph Curry. Steph Curry, right? No one would argue that Steph has a natural talent to play basketball, right? Would anybody argue that? Maybe some, okay, but most people would not argue that, okay? But would anyone think that just because he had a natural ability to play ball, he didn't work hard at developing that skill? Would anybody think that, right? Do you think that he would, he would, he would agree with that, even though he had a natural ability, that he didn't work hard at developing that skill? No, right? He probably, actually, he probably worked harder than most players because he already knew he had that capability within him. And it's similar with our own spiritual lives. If we know that we already possess the new nature, it encourages us to grow, right? If we understand that the spirit of Christ dwells within us, right, it enables us to walk in his likeness. It encourages us, right? We have the spirit of Christ. Our knowledge of the new nature shouldn't hinder our growth, it should feed into it. And that's why why oftentimes the Bible mentions that we need to be renewed, or we need to renew our minds, right? We need to be reminded. Because when we refresh our knowledge of all that we are in Christ, it causes us to walk like Him. It causes us to work hard and grow, okay? So we must still grow in our understanding of God's Word, we must still grow in our love towards one another, right? In our kindness towards our neighbors in our patience towards our family members we must still uh, we must discipline ourselves in self-control to keep our thoughts and our eyes from wandering right to control our anger to bridle our tongue and to uproot our pride colossians 3 says this starting verse 5 put to death therefore what is earthly in you sexual immorality impurity passion evil desire covetousness which is idolatry, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. That's the old nature. But now you must put them all away. You must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator. And not only are we to put off, right? It says in verse 12, put on then, right? As God's chosen, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. See, although we have a new nature, we ourselves, we're not passive, okay? We have to actively put off the old self and its practices, and we have to actively put on that which already resides inside of us in the new nature, See, there's a conscious effort, yet it's God who works in us to will and to do, okay? Listen to Paul again in in 1 Corinthians 15, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. That's how the new nature works itself out in our day-to-day lives. We work hard knowing that God is already working in us to make us like his son. And we believe that he will do that. So as we continue to grow spiritually, as we continue to grow in our understanding of who God is and all that he's done, we'll learn more and more how to walk in a manner that reflects the new nature that we already possess in Christ. So that's the new nature. It's spiritual life that seeks to honor God and please God in both our thoughts and actions. Now, there's still a lingering question that um, I want to go over for uh, as our last item tonight, okay? And it's a valid question, okay? That's, uh, it's kind of related to one of the discussion questions that we had last week, if you were here. Um, well, I guess not, not there, but... And that is, if we have a new nature, okay, if we have a new life and a new lifestyle in Christ, then why is it that we still sin? Why do we still sin? 1 John 3, 9 says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Well, the question is, if we've been born of God then how do we even have the ability to sin? Why is there still a struggle? And the quick answer to this is that even though Christ has paid the penalty for our sin through his death on the cross, right? And even though he's broken the power of sin within our lives by giving us a new nature, one thing remains that's yet to be taken away, and that's the presence of sin. The presence of sin is still in this life, Sin is still here, right? You can look around, sin is still here. In Romans 6, it says that we died to sin. And in verse 8, it says, we have died with Christ. This means that in Christ, um, we've died to the power of sin in our lives, okay? We're dead to sin. But this was a, it was a one-time act that was nailed to the cross, okay? It was a one-time act um, that nailed all of our sins, past, present, and future on the cross, the penalty and the power of sin has been defeated in our lives, yet sin is there, right? Romans six twelve it, it tells us that sin still exists. In fact, the presence of sin is so strong today that it still has the capability to reign in our mortal bodies. Right? Turn to Romans six. Romans six verse twelve. It says. Let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. So sin still exists out there, right? It says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Now we have to remember, okay, that it's the person that carries the nature, okay? It's the sinner that sins, not the nature. The mortal body that we carry is still a product of the fall. It's still a result of the flesh. Therefore, our flesh is prone to wander, right? It still has the capability and that inkling towards sin. But the new nature within us, within our minds, gives us the power now to fight the desires of our flesh, okay? See, before, they were in alignment, right? There was nothing holding um, holding back our flesh from sinning because it was just acting on the desires of our own heart. But now that we've been given new hearts, right? Now that we've been given new minds that are contrary to the desires of the flesh, now there's a conflict that takes place right now. Okay? There's a battle that's going on between the new nature and the members of our flesh. When I think of the word reign, right? I think of kings, right? kings and lords. I think of battles with castles and like catapults. You know? See, there's a war going on between you and your members, okay? between you and your members of the flesh. And they're fighting for control. They're fighting for reign over your life. And who will be king? Who will reign supreme over your life? Will it be sin? Or will it be the Lord Jesus Christ who died so that sin would no longer have dominion over you? See, we're no longer under the law. We're under grace. See, the problem of sin still exists in this life. But one day, Like we just sang, right? All will be made right when Christ appears. When Christ returns, He'll come back to finish the work, okay? He'll come back to fully release us even from the presence of sin. Isn't that a glorious thought? That our sin, not in part, but the whole, right? The sin that was nailed to the cross will one day no longer even be in our midst. Christ will come back. The Lord shall descend. And he'll finally restore these lowly bodies to match the new nature that's already rooted in our hearts. This is what we have to look forward to. Praise the Lord. So let's walk, not as those who are still living in the flesh but rather let's walk as individuals possessing the new nature as we look forward to the day when we come into the presence of Christ John 3.2 says this beloved we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. This is the hope that we have. Praise God for his precious word to us. May God continue to remind us of the new nature that we have in Jesus Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that if we are in Christ, we are new creations. The old has passed and the new has come. We ask that you would renew our minds. Help us to remember all that we are in Christ. Help us to recognize that we have the spirit of Christ within us. May our knowledge of you and your word cause us to walk in holiness, even in our our life today, um, until the day that you return. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.